following message was recorded at Faith Fellowship, St. Pete, in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org. Last week and the week prior, we've been in this Advent series, and we saw the miraculous conception of Jesus this birth narrative through the lens of Mary and Elizabeth. And now we come to the book of Matthew, chapter 1, verses 18 to 25, where we're going to see this same event from the perspective of none other than Jesus' earthly father, Joseph. Now we know and we hear little about Joseph as compared to Mary. There's no mention of Joseph, for example, in any of the Pauline epistles. He is not mentioned at all in the book of Mark. He is mentioned briefly in one other gospel book, but primarily here in Matthew, we get kind of a vision of the ministry and life of Joseph. So it's interesting also to note about Joseph that most scholars believe that Joseph probably died somewhere between when Jesus was 12 and 30 years old. And there's biblical evidence to that in John chapter 19 and verse 26. You'll notice that Jesus is on the cross being crucified And he looks down and there is the apostle John and his mother Mary. And he asks John to look after his mother. He entrusts the care of his mother Mary to John. Now, obviously, if Joseph were alive, that probably would not, that transaction would not have taken place. So Jesus was 33 when he was crucified. The last time we see Joseph, Jesus is, I believe, 12 years old. So again, Many believe that Joseph passed away, a relatively young man. Yet God chose Joseph to be the earthly father of none other than the Prince of Peace, the Savior of the entire world. Talk about a daunting responsibility. Talk about an overwhelming privilege, honor, of course, but one that would require supernatural intervention to be called to be the father, the earthly dad to none other than the son of God. So this morning, we're going to mine what we have in scriptures in order to discover a message that I believe resonates with us this morning from the life of Joseph. And I've titled this morning's message, actually, I believe God gave me the title for this morning's message, and that title is, When God Asks You to Do the Impossible. When God asks you or calls you to something that you just know is humanly impossible, above and beyond your pay grade to do. So let's jump in. Verse 18, it says in Matthew chapter 1, it says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. 
when his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. Now, you got to understand that there are essentially three steps to marriage in the Jewish world of Jesus's time. You've got engagement. That's the first step. And this could happen when the bride and groom are relatively young. And this was often arranged by parents. Again, most uh, scholars believe that Mary was somewhere around 15 years old at this time. Very young. That would be engagement. And then you have betrothal. Now, this made the previous engagement official and binding. And during the time of betrothal, the couple were actually known as husband and wife. And a betrothal could only be broken by a divorce. So this was legally binding. And it typically lasted for about one year. And after that one year, the marriage wedding took place. And after that, of course, they were officially informally and completely considered marriage. This, of course, after the year of betrothal. So it seems here that Mary had not told Joseph that she was pregnant by the Holy Spirit during their time of betrothal. It's interesting because none of us should be surprised by this. For a matter of fact, how could she or anyone else except for God explain such a thing? Could you imagine the discussion? Honey, I'm pregnant, but we've never come together. Yeah, I know, um, but I'm pregnant by the Holy Spirit. Really? Right. You know, you could see that kind of conversation. Look at verse 19. It says, and here's Joseph's response. It says, after, and her husband Joseph, no, it calls Joseph her husband, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. Interesting. It says, Joseph is a just man. That word in Greek actually is interchangeable with a righteous man. Joseph is a God-fearing man. And it says he's not wanting to make her a public example. Joseph knew that if Mary had been unfaithful to him, it would be impossible to go through with this marriage. He knew that. And he loved, obviously loved Mary. And as a just man, he did not want to make this unnecessary hardship. He did not want to stigmatize Mary. So he makes the understandable decision to divorce her or to seek a quiet divorce as a just man. Look at verse 20. It says, but as he considered these things, behold, (laughs) behold. So he's considering this quiet, secret divorce so as to not shame Mary. And we get behold. 
an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. That which is conceived in her is of the Holy Spirit. This angelic word to Joseph was obviously very persuasive, we're going to see. And it's my theory, my understanding, that this probably confirmed what Mary had previously brought to his attention. Interesting. Now, it goes on to say in verse 21, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins, from their sins. It says you shall call his name Jesus. Notice the angel comes to Joseph, his earthly father, and he says you're going to name this child Jesus. Now, interestingly, the name Jesus means the salvation of Yahweh. That's what Jesus means, the salvation of Yahweh. And it's a fairly common name in that day. There's a Jewish historian, Josephus, and he mentions 12 different men that are named Jesus in his writings. But interestingly, that same deal isn't a it doesn't apply to today. Very few people that you and I come upon are named Jesus. That name is supremely blessed in our context in culture this day. For a matter of fact, in Acts chapter 4, in verse 12, the Apostle Peter says, There is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved, that at the name of Jesus, every knee is going to bow, every tongue is going to confess that he is Lord. So this name, Jesus, means everything to us believers today. He says, the angel does, he will save his people, look at that, from their sins, the angelic messenger eloquently states the work of the coming Messiah, Jesus. It says he will come as a savior and he will come to save his people from their sins. This description of the work of Jesus reminds us that while Jesus meets us in our sins, his purpose is to save us from our sins. Let me say that again. He meets you and I in our sins with the purpose of saving us from our sins. He saves us from the penalty of sin on the cross. He took our punishment. He bore our 
the the punishment, the penalty for our sin on the cross. And then he takes away the power of sin through regeneration and sanctification. He dwells us, empowers us by his spirit, puts his life in us. And ultimately, you and I, those of us who are believers, will be glorified. We're going to see him face to face. And Jesus is going to deliver us from the presence of sin, the penalty, the power, and the presence of sin, Jesus has come to save us from. Now that ought to get you excited. Verse 22. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet referring to Isaiah in chapter 7, verse 14. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name, listen to this, Emmanuel, which means God with us. Emmanuel, this title refers to, first and foremost, his deity, God with us. But it also identifies his nearness to man, God with us. I want to read a quote from Adam Clark. He's a an older theologian of renown, and I think he really sums up this idea of Emmanuel, and he does it well. So listen, I'm going to quote him. He says, and I quote, In what sense, then, is Christ God with us? Jesus is called Emmanuel, or God with us, in his incarnation, God with us by the influences of his Holy Spirit in the Holy Sacrament, in the preaching of his word, in private prayer, in God with us through every action of our life that we begin, continue, and end in his name. He is God with us to comfort, enlighten, protect, and defend us in every time of temptation and trial, in the hour of death, on the day of judgment, in God with us and in us, and we with him and in him to all eternity. Emmanuel, God, is with us. Verse 24, when Joseph woke up, he woke. From sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And just like the angel had asked him to do, he called his name Jesus. It says, Joseph did as the angel of the Lord commanded. Joseph's obedience here is notable. He didn't doubt. He didn't waver. He instantly understood the truth and the importance 
of the angelic messenger that had come to him in this dream. So here's my question for us this morning. Are you, are you facing a situation that God has called you into, but you know that you're in over your head? Maybe you feel like you're drowning this morning. Is God asking you to do something? Maybe it's to love an unlovable. Maybe it's to surrender a prized possession. Maybe it's to pursue a mission or a ministry. Is he asking you to do something that is just too hard? It's too much for you to humanly handle. It's overwhelming, seemingly impossible. Well, I know one who understood. His name was Joseph. Because that's exactly what God asked Joseph, this mere man, to do. And being the earthly dad, the head of the household that bore Emmanuel. God with us. There's someone who says it a lot better than I do. And so I'm going to yield the floor to Michael Card, a Christian musician. And there's a song that he wrote called Joseph's Song. And he wrote it from the perspective of Joseph. And what I'd like us to do it's just to calm our hearts. For a matter of fact, Holy Spirit again, continue to minister and draw us in to your presence. When the song's over, I want to share with you guys some practical truth from the life of Joseph in addressing the question, how you and I can undertake that which God has called us to, the impossible. But let's watch. This is Joseph's song. How could it be this baby in my arms Sleeping now so peacefully The Son of God The angel said How could it be? Lord, I know He's not my own Not of my flesh Not of my bone Still fatherless 
the Son of God. Lord, for all my life I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? How can I raise a king? He looks so small. His face and hands so fair. And when he cries, the sun just seems to disappear. But when he laughs, it shines again. How could it be? Show me where I fit into this plan of yours. How can a man be father to the Son of God? Lord, for all my life I've been a simple carpenter. How can I raise a king? How could it be this baby in my arms sleeping now so peacefully? The Son of God, the angel said, How could it be? So, how could it be when God asks you to do that which you know is just humanly impossible to do? Well, let's look at the life of Joseph. And I'm going to submit to you some truths, some principles that I think are important that we find in his life as he embarked by faith upon what would otherwise be this impossible calling. First and foremost, be faithful in the moment. Be faithful in the moment, in the small things. In Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55, it says that Joseph is a carpenter. The word in Greek is he's a builder. He builds things. Then in Mark chapter 6 in verse 3, it says that Jesus was a carpenter. He builds things. Where do you think Jesus got those skills from? Where do you think he learned the trade from? He learned it from his earthly dad, Joseph. It's amazing to me. An angel comes to Joseph and says, you're going to be the earthly dad. You are going to be stewarding Emmanuel, 
the savior of the world. And what does Joseph do? He straps on the carpenter's belt. And he says, Jesus, come and learn in the day to day, in the moment. Do you know how much, you know, I'm a teacher um, and I'll tell you, it takes a lot of time and energy and investment and focus. Life slows down when you are bringing up somebody else. When you're mentoring, when you're working, when you're training up. It is not an overnight endeavor. It takes focus and resilience and years and years of practice. And I could imagine the mornings that Joseph woke up knowing that he was going to impart this to this young Jesus. Look at what the scriptures say in Matthew chapter 25, verse 21. This is a popular section of scripture. It's actually one of Jesus's parables, the parable of the talents. And he says this more than once. And this is to the individual who had been faithful with those talents in the response of the master. It says the master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful over what? Over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Here's what I've learned in my own life. When I look out and I think, you know, I'm just not adequate. It is always true. We're never adequate. None of us are. In all honesty. For various reasons, but I... I Primarily because we're human and we're falling and we're in need of grace and mercy. But so many times the Lord has has come to me and he's been merciful to me. And he said, you know what, Tom, just don't just slow down. Be faithful with whatever's in front of you. That which I bring into your day. I'm reminded of Jesus saying, you know, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow will take care of itself. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. So be faithful in the moment, in the day, in the minutia of the day. Often God reveals himself in his purpose. And I saw that. In the life of Joseph. Secondly, bless you. Cultivate a heart of purity. In other words, when you are faced with an insurmountable challenge that is of the Lord, focus on your heart. Keep your heart pure. The Bible says, we just read it in Matthew 119, that Joseph was a just man. He was a righteous man. Look at 1 Peter chapter 3 in verse 12. It says, for the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. Remember, just, righteous, interchangeable. It's somebody who's committed 
to the things of God, committed to walking in righteousness before the Lord, sensitive to the spirit, sensitive to holiness, sensitive to honoring the Lord. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. His ears are open to their prayer, but the face of the Lord is against those who do evil. It says, the eyes of the Lord are on the righteous. So it's easy to get caught up in all the details and all the challenges around us. And I found again, and I believe Joseph's life it, it, it kind of it represents this that there's a quiet place that the Lord calls us to where he wants to sup with us and he is most interested in our hearts you know he wants our hearts to love him and so he's doing heart surgery and often these circumstances and these callings are a means to an end He's preparing his bride. That's what he's doing. And so it's easy to get caught up in the circumstance. And often God is saying, focus on the relationship. Thirdly, remember your identity in Christ. Remember your identity in Christ. It's interesting, Luke chapter 2, verse 4 says that Joseph is from Nazareth. And in John 146, I'll read it, it should say it up on the screen. It says, Nathaniel said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Referring, of course, to Jesus. Philip said to him, come and see. So apparently Joseph's hometown was not a hometown of great renown. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? It'd be easy to be wrapped up in that, for that to stain your identity going forward. But it's interesting. Look at this. In Matthew one twenty. When the angel comes to Joseph, who does he refer to Joseph as? He didn't call him son of Nazareth. He calls him son of David. David the king. A royal ancestry. A righteous ancestry. Interesting. So, Hear the angel, son of David. Look at what the scripture says in First Peter chapter 2 and verse 9 about those of us who have received Jesus, who are God's kids. It says, you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness 
into his marvelous light. It goes on to say in verse 10, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So you're faced with the impossible, faithful in the moment, cultivate a heart of purity, Remember your identity in Christ. You are his. You belong to him. You've been bought with a price. Greater is he who is in you than he who is in this crazy, mixed up, wicked, backwards world that we reside in. Next, seek courage to follow. Pray for courage. Look at Matthew chapter 2 and verse 13. Again, I believe it's on the screen. It says, now when they had departed, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared again. This is a second dream to Joseph and said, rise, take the child and his mother, flee to Egypt Remain there until I tell you, for Herod is about to search for the child to destroy him. And he rose and took the child and his mother by night and departed to Egypt. Here we have Joseph protecting baby Jesus in Mary from what is a demonic attack. And it's interesting to note how the enemy attempts to snuff out the work of God in the womb. We see that with Moses in the Old Testament. And here again, we see it with Jesus. Herod comes in and attempts to snuff out um, Jesus as an infant. But the angel comes to Joseph and Joseph exercising faith and great courage gathers up his charge and they head out to Egypt. Because sometimes it takes courage. Great supernatural courage to pursue that which God has called you to. It is not always for the faint the double-minded. For a matter of fact, look at Joshua chapter 1, verse 9. Moses, the great Moses, had passed away. Actually, God buries Moses somewhere. <laughs> and it's amazing. Joshua is now elevated to leadership over Israel, God's people. And look what the Lord says, and this is, I just picked one verse. There are multiple verses. If you go back to that chapter, it's a recurring theme that the Lord says to Joshua. Here's what he says. Have I not commanded you be strong and courageous, be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened and do not be dismayed for the Lord. Your God is with you wherever you Go and listen, there is somebody here this morning. That word is for you. Because you've looked and thought, 
this is too much. I just don't have the strength to go forward. And the Lord is saying, listen, I'm your strength. The same spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. Jesus, have mercy. God says again to Joshua, be strong and courageous. And here we have Joseph. Courageous Joseph saying, come on, Mary, get the baby. We're going. We're going into Egypt. We're going to keep this boy safe. Be faithful in the moment. Cultivate a heart of purity. Remember your identity in Christ. Seek the courage. Pray for, believe for the courage to follow. Just two more. Pursue holiness. Pursue holiness. Keep your eyes on God. Luke chapter 2, verses 41 and 42. It's interesting to me. Again, we see Joseph here, I think, for the last time. And what's going on, it says in verse 41, Now his parents, meaning Jesus' parents, Mary and Joseph, went to Jerusalem when? Every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was 12 years old, they went up according to custom. So Joseph the just man observes the holy days and the Hebrew feast with his family. He is a spiritual leader of his family. He's training up his child in the way that he should go. We're going to Jerusalem every year. We're not going to miss holiness. A heart that desires God. And last but not least, in the life of Joseph, we have what I'll call radical obedience. When Joseph woke from sleep, He did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. And he called his name Jesus. It's one thing to hear. Joseph obeyed. Joseph does what the angel of the Lord instructs him to do. And there's a big difference between being a hearer of the word only and being a doer of the word. A big difference. I'll go out on a limb this morning to say that, um, 
the difference between disciple and non-disciple comes down to doing, ultimately obeying versus just listening. God is calling us to obedience, surrender. Listen, I love my wife. But me saying that isn't good enough. I got to demonstrate it. You understand? I got to show it. I got to live it. Authenticate it through my actions. Otherwise, you could rightfully call into question my claim that I love her. The obedience is an expression of the love. James says it, faith without works is dead. It's not that you're saved by works. You're saved by grace, by faith, but authentic faith always demonstrates itself in obedience. And God's calling you and I to obedience. So let's rehash. This morning, you're like Joseph, I am. And you're facing what looks to be, in the flesh at least, in our humanity, impossible. Here's what we see in the life of Joseph. Listen, be faithful in the moment. We're going to have communion. You'll walk out of this building eventually today. And you're going to immediately be given an opportunity to be faithful. All of us will. And it's going to come in a small package an interaction with someone, a response to some situation that comes our way. Be faithful in the moment. Cultivate a heart of purity. Remember your identity in Christ. I'm praying, pray with me for courage, supernatural courage to follow, to obey. Even when it's risky, I'll be the first to admit I'm risk adverse right now in my life. It is hard to be on fire. It's hard to be radically surrendered and be risk adverse. The gospel is filled with risk. I need courage. I need courage. God, grant us courage. Pursue holiness. A holy heart, which means set apart for God. You are set apart for his pleasure and his purpose. And last, walk the life 
of radical obedience. Obey. You know what he's asking you to do. Some of y'all out here right now. You've been like, Lord, I need to know. I need to know. Well, he's letting you know right now. Obey. Obey. That's what he's saying. And in your obedience, you'll see God's faithfulness, his goodness, his might, his grace, the joy that we saw earlier discussed. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Jesus, again, thank you so much for your word. And I pray, God, that your word would not return void. And I thank you, Jesus, that you love us and have called us unto yourself. And now, Lord, as we come to the table, that you would meet us, Lord, with your presence. Father, free us, fill us with your spirit, with your joy, with your life today. And God, we do bow our knee. We do want to learn. We do know that, Lord, many of the things that you've called us to are beyond our ability. And, Lord, we don't shrink from that because we know you are faithful. Great is our God, mighty to save and to deliver. So we want to put ourselves in a position, Lord, to be blessed and to be at the center of your will. Jesus, in your name, amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Faith Fellowship St. Pete in St. Petersburg, Florida. More information about Faith Fellowship can be found at faithfellowshipstpete.org.